Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that your word reminds us that but for Christ, none of us would be friends. None of us would be co-heirs of the kingdom. We come today, Father, to learn, to grow, to seek, to find. Father, as we pay our attention to your word this morning, may you speak afresh and anew about what you have to say about biblical marriage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It is my pleasure. I don't, why am I introducing you? Is there anyone here that doesn't know who Pastor Dale is? You don't? You know who he is. Anyway, give him a warm welcome this morning. you didn't. Come on, keep your hand up and don't lie. Yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. Jim, let's go and eat. I ain't got time for this foolishness. Let's go. I want to give you a couple of perspectives. There it comes on it. It was on, right? Thank you. I don't know. How many, is anybody here likes history? I like history. Anybody here likes history? I'm sorry. I'm sorry in a way, but I, I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson. You ever seen that little movie that says Mythbusters? I want to, I want to, I think it said Ghostbusters, but I want to change it. I want to bust a couple of myths this morning. Um, One of the things that I was told for many years, got letters about it regularly, especially in the fall as a pastor. And it was to the effect that I had to be very careful that I could not endorse a candidate for president because it was against the law. And, and against the rules. And I, I didn't do that. I would speak to issues, but I tried never to endorse a candidate. And I did, uh, didn't even look into it, didn't, figure, didn't concern myself with why. But after a while, I began to concern myself with it, and I began to look into it. And I found that that all came out through a politician's actions by the name of Lyndon Baines Johnson. Anyone know who that was? He, he was a Baptist preacher down here in Chardon, I think. But anyway... <laughs> No, he was the president of the United States at one time, but he was a, a very liberal, weird character, according to those who worked with him, very weird. And when he ran for office in Texas, he found that the preachers would not um, get on his side. And so he pushed through Congress and through the government a rule to the effect that you cannot, as a church, in any way be involved in the government. That's not the myth. But the reason that they said that was because there was this wall of separation between the church and the government that had been in place ever since the beginning of our country, and it took place because of the person and writings and influence of one Thomas Jefferson. And that Thomas Jefferson had written about this wall of separation to keep the church from influencing the government unduly. Now, I, seriously this morning, have anyone here ever heard that about that's what the government, the, you've heard that. 
That is a lie. Never was true. What is true is that uh, Thomas Jefferson did write a letter to an independent congregational preacher in New England during his tenure, supporting that preacher's position that his church members should not have to pay tithe and or taxes to support the Church of England because they were not members of the Church of England, they were members of his church. And Thomas Jefferson wrote him a letter stating, I agree with you, the government should not be influencing the church. The church should be influencing the government. But Lyndon Johnson didn't care. He didn't mind lying a little bit to get the American public to believe that what he was saying was attributable to one Thomas Jefferson. A myth, an untruth that we didn't know anything about for many years. After and even during World War II, one of the mysteries that surrounded America and American politics and American foreign policy that many conservative and Christian people could not understand is why was it that America, United States, our country, was always opposed to any Jewish immigration coming into the United States, even during the Holocaust and all of the terrible things and atrocious things that were happening to Jews at the hands of the Nazis in Germany. And then after the war was over and we went to the peace talks or the talks to figure out how they were going to divide the spoils of war, again there was this almost unexplicable and mysterious evolution of where much of what the Soviet Union wanted, they got. And the United States, who played such a prominent, overwhelming, and tilting role in the World War II, came out with hardly nothing. And very few people could understand. As a matter of fact, the United States did not support strongly the establishment of Israel as a nation. They did not support Jewish people coming into our country. And all of that seemed to be so contrary to who we are. And no one understood why. They thought it was just because we took it as a stand that we did not want to be involved in international politics. That was a myth. That was not true. In the last 15 years, of course, 20 years now, we have seen the falling apart of the Soviet Union or the United Soviet Socialist Republic. And as a result thereof, much of the paperwork of the KGB has become available. And lo and behold, to the shock and surprise of many Americans... It has now become public knowledge that the primary advisor to Franklin Delano Roosevelt during World War II and his primary representative at the peace talks and the reconciliation talks after World War II was the entire time a Russian spy. We just didn't know it. Another myth gone down the day side. Things that we are told and we just hear it enough that we think it's true. I'm older now, much older. I'm 66 years old, so you won't have to spend your time guessing. I usually do that when anyone says anything about age and they're speaking. I try to figure, well, how old are they? Well, I'm 66, so don't have to worry about it. When I was a boy, in school, I would watch television. They did have television back then, sure enough. And um, on a nightly basis, some of you that may be my age or a little bit younger or older will remember this. On a nightly basis, they would get on that television set and they would say, Without a college education, you're not going to go anywhere. I mean, they hung that into, and no one in my family had ever been to college. I mean, it's just a foregone conclusion. Without a college education, you're not going to go anywhere. And then they, they keep promoting that. Now in the last 20 years in America, they have changed, not changed it, but they've added to it. They said, if you have a college education, according to the statistics, do you ever wonder who comes up with these statistics? 
you will make on the average of 20% more during the course of your lifetime. That's a myth. As a matter of fact, today, now we also know that somewhere between 80 and 90% of the people in America who are, who are working and making a good living, who are college graduates, 80 to 90% of them are working in areas in which they did not go to college for. And now we are discovering, to no one's great surprise, that not only are in some instances and many instances they're not making more money, they are still paying off their college debt into their 50s. And now we're finding that people that didn't go to, high, to college, graduated from high school, developed a vocation, they're some of the most desired people in America. They can't find enough of them, and they need to pay them more, and they're paying them more, and they're making good money. Another myth blown to smithereen. Now, do not misunderstand me. I'm not speaking against college education. I have a college degree, but I'm simply saying, you hear something enough, you say, oh, well, that's true. Yep. Can't understand why, but that's true. Now I want to get to my subject. You have heard all of your life that um, marriage is hard. 50% of the marriages that take place in America end up in divorce. And as a matter of fact, according to the studies of George Bonner, 50% of the marriages in the church are Christian people also end up in divorce. And they quote statistics, and they've done that now for about 30, 35 years. And that was very disturbing to many when we heard that. And it's hard for me to believe, and, and yet that's, that's the statistics. That's false. Absolutely false. And even George Barner has said, I never said that. My research doesn't indicate that. As a matter of fact, they did some additional research, and this is what they discovered. Yes. Of the people in America who say they believe in God or religion, the same number of those people get divorced as the people who say they don't believe in God. or religion. There's no difference. People who don't go to believe in God get divorced. People who do believe in God get divorced. And there's no difference. But when you change the question and you ask this question instead, do you go to church at least three times a month and are you actively practicing your Christianity? The divorce rate for Christians who do that is not 50% or 60% or 70%. No, it's 25%. 25%. As a matter of fact, the divorce rate for Christian people who not profess but who practice Christianity is one half of what it is for the general community. So now that's another myth that you have heard. Well, we also have been told, at least it's insinuated and intimated, that you know the happiest people around are the ones that get to hit the bar every Friday night and every Saturday night. They party to the backs and they have a great time and, and they take a little bit of marijuana here and a little coke there and they just have a great time. And they have a lot of money too because they get to blow it on all this stuff. I mean, you know, they take these trips and they, they, they go to New York and they go to Paris. Oh, they go everywhere because they just are having a great time. However, that's not the fact. The fact is, in America, the most affluent people financially across the board have been married for 30-plus years. People who are married are better stewards of their money, even those particularly who are evangelical Christians. You don't hear much about it in America today, but one of the most affluent religious groups in America today are the Mennonites. 
Because they're just really good stewards of their money. They don't waste their money. They don't get those exotic trips to Paris. They don't get to go to New York. They don't get to go to California. They don't want to. And I'm kind of with them. The truth is the most affluent people overall in America are the people who are married, have been married for 30 plus years. They run their homes on a Christian basis. They go to church three times a week, three times a month at least. They give a substantial amount of money to the church and to financial organizations like it. And yet over 30 and 40 and 50 years, they're the most successful financial. And to boot, in surveys repeatedly now for the last 20 years in America, the question was posed to people, how happy are you in your marriage? And they gave like four or five, you know, real happy, happy, sad, you know, fighting, whatever. Of Christians who went to church three times plus per month, would you believe that 80% of those people said they're happy? Now, this is the time if you're a man and you're sitting next to your wife, you do this. Let her know, hey, I'm happy. <laughs> Joel, Joel Gordon, be sure you do. Where's Joel at? My, your wife tells me you're happy all the time. You, so did she hit you there, buddy? Is your side hurting? Yeah, yeah. But now that's the truth. Now, I, I could give you other statistics, but I know statistics can lie, and I could lie to you about them. But I want to ask you this question. Don't you find that what you hear today is contrary to all of that? That people who are married are miserable? That people are not married, that they're happy? People that get to go to the bars, they have the most fun? Now, I'll, I'll give you another quick one, and I won't dwell on this one, but this is, this is a truth. And, and I, I don't know, some of you, all of you men that are here, well, raise your hand if you're a man. Raise your hand. I just want to see if you, you're awake. According to statistics, and I'm going to say this once and I'm not going to repeat it. So I want you to listen. According to statistics, married men have a five times more active sexual life than single men. Now that's something to think about now that you think about. It. And I know you won't think about anything else until I'm finished today, but that's okay. <laughs> Now, ladies and gentlemen, everybody has an opinion. Sociologists will give you a point of view. Psychologists will give you a point of view. Your best friend will give you a point of view. And believe it or not, so will Oprah. And they'll all tell you how, what makes them happy. Have you ever found it interesting that, and I'll just pick on her in a moment, because I think she's worth what? $18 billion or some astronomical amount. And have you ever noticed how many times she's on television talking about poor people? Like, what does she know about poor people? And she gives it knowledge on how to have a good marriage. She's not married. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful. Whose opinion is worth what? Go with me, please, if you have your Bibles, to the second chapter of the book of Genesis. And I'm just going to give you somebody's opinion. Now, everybody has an opinion. Some are good, some are bad, some are better. But I thought we would start off with God's opinion. God's opinion. The 18th verse says, And the Lord God said, I don't even remember the name of the company, but you remember that, that, that little advertisement for a program on television they'd put out about some stockbroker? Said that when they talk, everybody listens. That's the way it ought to be when God speaks. Someone ought to say, oh, what? God? All right. And the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone, and I will make him a helper 
comparable to him. Now, just a wee bit, I'm not going to try to impress you because I know no Greek, know no Hebrew, very little Greek, but I have done some research. That word good is a little bit more expansive than it sounds in the text. It's not like it's not good, it's not, it's not as good as it could be. Or it's a bit. It is like, in this statement, in this context, it is, it is not God's plan. It is not God's will. It is not what God said. God was saying in essence, now I'm not finished. I, I have something else. This is not, I've already said to you, it was good. You remember what he pronounced and he said, this is good. I did this and he did this and he said, this is good and this is good and this is good. And he said, well, wait a minute now. It's not good yet. In other words, it's not finished yet. Yes, we have all the animals. And yes, Adam, you can name them. And yes, you have this life of leisure in the garden, but it's not right yet. I'm not finished yet. It's not good yet because it's not good for you to be alone. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's a philosophical overview, but that's a fact of life. It's not good for us to be alone. And I'm not going to address myself today to some of the deviancy in America, but I do want to address myself today to some of the untruths in America, and I've already pointed out one of them. Another issue that's untrue in today's world is I, I, people have said, you know, if you, if you think you love someone, you might want to get married, live with them for a while. Find out what you're getting into before you get married. Well, that, and if you think about it, talk, oh, it's, they'll point out all the things you'll find out about whether or not he picks up his socks and, and on down the line. And you know, if, you, if, you do, if it doesn't work out, you can go ahead and break up and you won't have this divorce issue and you won't have all this money problems. Well, let me tell you what the facts are, according to the facts. If you live together and get married, your chance of divorce is 200% what it is if you don't live together before you get married. That's the fact. That's a statistical fact. People in America today who got divorced after living together, as best our statistics can analyze it, their divorce rate is twice what it would be. So when people say, well, I'd like for you to tell, they often have these couples like Brother Tom Hermes, and he's a wonderful buddy. And uh, someone like him, 62 years of marriage, someone would be legitimate saying, uh, Dr. Hermes, uh, what is the secret of, of a long marriage? And they'll tell you. But everybody wants to know how. But I want to talk to you about why. Why would we want a biblical marriage? Well, number one, because God says so. Number two, because it, according to statistics, has a, tri- a much better chance of succeeding than if you don't have a biblical marriage. Number three, if you have a biblical marriage, you will almost always be better off financially than you would be if you remain single. Just, you know, I know people say, oh, that's just not true. I can live a lot cheaper. Don't believe this stuff. Two can live as cheap as one. It's not a case. You're right. Two cannot live as cheap as one. But when two get together, one of them normally is a spendthrift and one of them is a saver and they'll balance each other out. Most of the time when people stay single, they're spendthrift and they'll spend their money. And when they get to the point of getting older, they're broke as a convict. But the statistics don't lie all the time. Now, I know liars can quote statistics just like Lyndon Bain Johnson quoted Thomas Jefferson. But the truth is, a reason for having a biblical marriage is it will help you out financially. Another reason for having biblical marriage is for social stability within our community. We don't think about it very much, not deeply. We, we get all of this jargon today. 
And I, I hope you'll understand and put into context. I'm talking about biblical marriage, but I'm trying to give you some extenuating situations. We are constantly being inundated. I've been in this greater community for nearly 40 years, and it seems like every other year we have another issue on the ballot to raise taxes. And one of the issues that they often say is we need to raise taxes for schools. Everybody's in favor of schools. But without going into too much detail, if you were to do an analysis of many of the schools in the state of Ohio and across America where the most money is spent, they have the poorest performance. My brother and sister-in-law both teach in the school systems in Virginia in a town by the name of Hampton, Virginia. Uh, I, to quote after him, he doesn't have a single student in his class this year that is qualified to pass. Every one of them, he said, if I did what I should do, I'd fail them all. But in his particular political situation within the school system, the powers that be above him tell him to do whatever he's got to do to get them through because they have to look good for the government. And they spend a lot of money just like every school system does. And my brother, who happens to also be a pastor, he said, Dale, it's not money. And no, don't get me wrong. He'd love to have more of it. So would the school system. He said, but the children that I get have no family life. They have no home. And you talk to him about specifics. I said, Gus, how many of your parents, how many of the kids in your classroom have both a father and a mother at home? He said, as far as I know, none. None. He said, most of them don't know who their dad is. And those that do, they don't live with them. That, my problem, is the falling apart of the family. That is the deterioration of the social fabric of our community. And my friends, if you have a man and woman who love God first and put God first and live according to the book, go to church three to four times a week, participate in the activities of the church, you will not have children sitting in school on a daily basis who don't know where their mom and dad is, or much worse, even who their dad is at all. There is a benefit from a biblical marriage. And when we like to, like to speak of, well, how do you have a biblical marriage? I think it's important that we know why. You know, I was told why to go to college, because I'd make more money. That sounds reasonable. We're often told why to do other things. Why do you go get a physical every year? Men don't like to get physicals. You know why? Well, because they'll find something wrong. Well, we don't want to know if anything's wrong with us. We'd just rather wait till the day before we die and they say, you, you, you're not going to make it. Okay, good. I didn't spend 15 years worrying about it. You know, it comes as a mystery to me as a young man. Women go get a checkup every year. I didn't, wanna, I didn't go to a doctor for 15, 20 years, I don't think. But they say it's good for you. Not for me because I have white coat syndrome. When I see a doctor, my blood pressure goes up 20%. At least that's what I blame it on. It can't be the fact that I'm overweight and like salt. I mean, it just can't have anything to do with it. I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm the benefit of my culture. I was told as a child, my parents and grandparents, they had great, great wisdom. And they told me as a child, though I was overweight in some people's minds, I played Santa Claus four years in a row because I was the fattest boy in school. But my aunt said, Dale, you're not fat. You're just big boned. Now, I kind of like that. I think that's wisdom. Amen. But don't believe everything you're told. The fact is today, if we can get biblical marriage, our schools would be much helped. Our principals, our administrators, our superintendents, and our teachers would be much helped. And our society would be dramatically helped. We are reaping the benefits today of a culture who has said, look, if it don't work, divorce. If it don't work, chunk it. 
One of the benefits of a godly home is a child who knows who mom and dad is and they work together to try to raise their children. Now do not, I know, and I want to say to you, I know, just so you won't come up to me. You come up to him if you want to, I don't care. And say, well, you know, some of us got divorced, we couldn't help it. I know that. My mom and dad got divorced. I wanted my mother to divorce my dad. He was hell on earth. He was a drunk. He beat me constantly. He beat my mother. He beat my brother. I mean, I know what it's like to live in that kind of home. And I wanted them to get divorced. But yet, my friends, the truth is, that's not the way God planned it. My mother wasn't a Christian. My daddy wasn't a Christian. And I reaped the benefits of it. I was the first one in my family to get saved on my intimate family. My mother later got saved because her second husband carried her to church. And her second husband was a mortician. So you know they had a dead life. So you got to just take that into consideration. My mother was scared. I found this so humorous. God's got a wonderful sense of humor. Seriously, think about it. My mother's, if you don't understand what this means, I'll tell you later. She was superstitious. Kind of that rule. And she married a man who was a mortician. And she lived in the funeral home right across from the embalming room. My mother was scared most of her life at that point. God's got a wonderful sense of humor. You know, she kept talking to her husband about all this stuff. He, she got the place she'd go into the embalming room with her, with him. And she, he'd watch her. He was the resident embalmer. She one time told him, and she said to him as he was doing the embalming, she says, you never rub my leg like that. <laughs> he looked back at her. He says, wait a while. I will. <laughs> God's got a wonderful sense of humor. One year for Christmas, he gave her a picture of him laying in a casket with his hands folded. She thought that had no sense of humor. He laughed for two weeks. He had a wonderful sense of humor. But he went to church. He got saved. And he invited my mother. The benefits of a godly home, ladies and gentlemen. So many times today, people want to hear about, well, how do you have a good Christian family? Number one, just be honest with yourself. Are you a Christian? Not are you a professor. Are you a possessor? And don't, please don't find this junk. Well, I'm a Christian. I don't go to church. That's a lie from hell. That's like the man says, well, I'm married. I just don't live with her. And somebody says, well, that works best. Well, that's somebody who really is, ought to be registered somewhere for the candidate for stupid of the year. Yeah, I don't live with my wife, but we have a great marriage. Give me a break. I, I, I'm rich, but I can't afford to buy lunch. Folks, these things are lies. And I don't go to church and I don't read my Bible and I don't, oh, do you, all these people I've met in my life, oh yeah, I pray every day. Well, you go to church? No. You read your Bible? Oh yeah, I read my Bible. Well, what kind, what kind do you read? Oh, I think it's black. They don't read no Bible. They're lying worse. <laughs> Be honest with yourself. Are you a Christian? Have you asked Christ to come in your life and are you trying to live for him? Number two, gentlemen, do you love your wife like Jesus loves you? You say, oh, now, preacher, that's a high requirement. I didn't place it on you. The book does. Ephesians 5 says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And he gave himself up for her, that he might cleanse her by the washing of water with the blood, that he might present her unto the Father as a bride without blemish. This is the teaching of the New Testament. That's how, fellows, we're supposed to love our wives. You say, that's hard to do. Well, if it was easy, anybody could do it. But you're God's child. You're God's creation. God will help you to do it. You have to love your wife like God loved the church. And the Bible says he loves the church so much 
that he gave his life for them. And most men would be willing to die for their wives, I think, but they're not willing to live for them. They're not willing to give a little. There's not a man or woman in this room today, but I'll pick on the men because that'd be my species. You've got a few things in your life that are wrong. A few things you've done in your life that are displeasing with God. Have you noticed how gracious he is towards you? And yet your wife does something wrong and you're immediately ready to fight and want to kick her out, get a divorce and see if you can't find someone better. The Bible says we ought to love our wives as Jesus Christ loves the church. Ladies, now you know this is true and I'm not going to beat it to death, but it's true. You're to say, well, I don't like that. Well, then you're not a Christian. I'm sorry. You say you're judgmental. You're right. I'm just telling you, the book says a wife should be submissive to her husband. Well, I don't believe that's old-fashioned. Well, the book is pretty old-fashioned. I got to It's a pretty old-fashioned. But it, it works. It works. You know, it's just eating three times a day is old-fashioned. But I kind of like it, don't you? It works. It works. Now, listen, I, I, don't, I didn't use the word subject, and you need to understand the difference. A wife is not subject to her husband. She's submissive to her husband. And she's not submissive to a man. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I'm saying, she, you just didn't, didn't I have no one come to your house one day and knock on the door and say, hey, Sue, Gloria, whatever your name is, here's a man, submit to him the rest of your life. No, no. You picked. And if you got a dud, it's your fault. Nobody did it for you. You say, well, I didn't know what I was getting. Well, that's just your fault. But let me give you some encouragement. If you stick with him, in 10 years, ladies, your husband will not be who you married. It'll be who you made him. That's true. You'll find that, you, you know, after about 10 years, it's weird. My wife hasn't asked me some questions now for 35 years because she knows all the answers. I keep telling people my wife's so smart she knows the name of the unknown soldier. And that's almost true. Well, she knows stuff. She, she don't even, and I'm glad she doesn't ask me where I want to go to eat. She just lists five places. You want to go here, 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 here. You know why? Because she knows they're the only five I like. That's the way it is. And I got a pretty good idea most of the time what she likes. And I got a pretty good idea most of the time what she doesn't like. And there's some things we don't even have to ask each other. And there's some things I like now I did not used to like. I now love a clean home. Now she's here, so I'll be nice. My wife is nuts when it comes to a clean home. Oh my goodness gracious. I think we own five vacuum cleaners, Ron. I got one on each floor, one in the basement, one out in the garage, one in the other garage, and I keep one on backup just in case. I went one night and just bought two of them. She said, I don't need but one. I said, I want to be sure. Let's be sure. She loves to clean. She cleans everything. Cleans everything. Even, she even washed my hat yesterday. I'm glad for that. I've gotten to, when I first got married, I wasn't into that stuff, cleaning. I mean, I lived in a parsonage by myself for a year. I didn't care if it was dirty or clean. Cook, I cooked one time a day. I had two meals I cooked all week long. Three times a week, I would cook a round steak and mashed potatoes. And three times a week, I would cook fried chicken and mashed potatoes. I had nothing but mashed potatoes and fried chicken and steak. That's all I ate. I'd go down to Mr. Ansel's store and I'd buy three steaks and about eight pieces of chicken. That'd be my meals because I didn't cook once. Now I eat real regular, real good all the time and I've got the proof to show it. 
Now, I said all of that to somewhat entertain you, but also say to this, if you're not married to the kind of person you want, change them. Now, I've not talked to a lot of young women say, oh, well, he don't go to church now, and he drinks a little bit now, and he this is, and he that. But after I marry him, he's going to change. You ought to go live in Disney World and walk around with Donald Duck because you're living in fantasy. If he won't change for you before he marries you, he is not going to change after he marries you. Because I can tell you something, men before they get married are very malleable. That's how come boyfriends go with girlfriends to church. That's why they show up to the things that their girlfriends invite them to. No matter what it is, they don't have to like it. That's not a question worth asking. Do you like such, such, so-and-so? Who? Why do you care? She invited me, I'm going. If it's her family's reunion, I don't even know her family. I can't dislike them. I can't like them. But I know it's going to be a nervous situation when I get there because I'm going to be on show and everybody's going to want to know who I am because I'm dating her. But I'm going. Why? Because she said so. Nothing wrong with that. It ain't so bad. I say this and I don't mean this totally humorously. It ain't so bad being henpecked as long as you like the hen. Be careful. Ladies, the Bible doesn't say submit to a husband. It says submit to your own husband. You can't pick one after you get married. I can tell you several times I've been in marriage counseling situation and the wives, some, some women aren't as smart as others. I'll just leave it there, okay? The woman will say something like, well, to her husband, well, I don't understand why you can't be like Sue's husband. Now that really excites a man, doesn't it? <laughs> what does your wife want you to do? She wants me to be like her girlfriend's husband. I had this one situation, this, the Bible says, now, now this is not the rules according to the church or, or the preacher, this is what the, the, the man shall leave his wife and cleave to his mother, to his, to leave his mother, I'm sorry, cleave to his wife. <laughs> hey, the first part was what, that's how some people quote it, I know it, I, I messed up. And a woman shall leave her father and mother and cleave to her husband. I, I had this situation, the couple had been married, I don't know how long, time passes, I forget. But this woman, on a relatively regular basis, they'd get into a fuss. Now, I don't know how many of you get into a fuss, but I'm presuming all the married people you know gets into a fuss. So far in 50 years of ministry, I ran into one couple who said they never argued. And the, and the man told me that. He happened to be my custodian at one of my churches. His name was Russell. I said, Russell, uh, how do you and Lois deal with arguments? He said, Pastor, we don't deal with arguments. I don't, we don't argue. I said, come on, Russell. He says, no, we don't argue. I said, I'll fix this. So I went, around, I went across the parking lot and I knocked on the door. Miss Lois came to the door. I knew. I said, Miss Lois, Russell just told me you don't argue. Tell me, how often do you argue? Oh, she said, Pastor, we've never argued in our lives. I said, you are blowing my illustration to bits. <laughs> what do you mean you don't argue? She says, Pastor, you know Russell. I have tried to argue with him many, many times in the last 40. He won't argue. He's just so mild-mannered and so good-spirited. No matter what I say, he goes along with it. I said one in 50 years. You're not it. All of you have probably argued. This couple argued all the time. And every time they get in a good argument, she would get mad and she'd leave the house and she'd go to her mom and daddy's house. Sometimes she'd spend the night there. Sometimes she wouldn't. But after a day or two, she'd come back. And everything would go along well for a while. So one day they had this big fuss and big fight. Sure enough, in the car she went down the street. And just like normal, a couple of three or four hours later, he pulls up with his pickup truck in the front yard. 
He, she met him at the door. I don't know exactly what she said, but it was something to the effect of, uh, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'll be home after a while, blah, blah, I appreciate, I knew you were coming, I thank you for coming, but I'll be home. She, he said, no, no, you misunderstand. She said, what? He said, I brought your stuff, it's in the back of the truck, come get it. He said, every time we have an argument, you run back home to mom and dad, it's time for you to stay here. That's why they were in my office. I've been with other couples. Every time anything goes wrong, one of them will shout, I want a divorce. I want a divorce. I have a little bit of background in country music. I like that old song. I think it was by Tammy Wynette that says, I-D-I-V-O-R-C-E comes final today. It's a hard thing for a family to deal with. Destroys families. Ruins children. I know children right now that are going through that with their parents. The parents think they're in agony, but I don't think they have a clue how much it's damaging their children. Think about the benefits of a godly marriage. And if you don't start out by being godly people, you cannot have a godly marriage. But if you start out as a godly woman and you look for a godly man and you commit yourself both to be what you can be in Christ, the Bible says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Doesn't mean it cannot be broken, but it's not easily broken. The Bible says if a woman is married to a man and he's not a Christian, she gets saved, she should leave him and likewise for the man. But instead she ought to live it in front of him. There have been many, many hundreds of thousands of men who have been converted because of godly women. I could tell you many stories. I'll just tell you one quick one. One of my favorites. I had a gentleman in the church and he was about 50, 55 years old, I'm guessing. And he really was a drunk. Had been for many years, but he wasn't a mean drunk, and he wasn't a riotous drunk, and he wasn't a lazy drunk. He worked hard all week long, brought his money home, raised two children, stayed with his wife, but he didn't go to church, didn't believe in religion, but he just liked his liquor. And one day, as he was home, as he always was on Sunday, his grandchildren came over after church. That was something that happened a lot in his house, and he liked it because he liked his grandchildren, and his daughter brought him over with his son-in-law. And just sitting there in the chair, and according to what he told me, in his lazy boy, if you haven't got one as a man, you ought to get one. That's ought to be a requirement in your home. But anyway, there he sat in his lazy boy. Charlie was his name. And his little granddaughter ran through the house, just as little grandchildren will do, little girl. And as she always did, she ran and she jumped up in granddaddy's lap. And she gave him a hug around the neck, I think, and looked at him and said, Granddaddy. Is it true when you die, you won't go to heaven and I'll never get to see you again? And Charlie said, he said, Velma, come here and get this girl. You see, about a little while before that, I don't remember exactly how long. He had his daughter and grandchildren in the car with him going up in the mountains in, West, in Virginia and visiting family members. And he said he got snowing and blowing and freezing and he was on this curve in this hill and he said, my car began to slip and slide. He said, I was worried sick. And everybody knew it. And he said, that little girl, that little granddaughter of mine, she was sitting on the seat in between us and she didn't say a word to me. She just said, Lord Jesus, stop this car. And he said, preacher, that car stopped. So when that little girl crawled up in my lap and said, is it true I'll never see you again after you die? I knew it was time to get right with God. And sure enough, 
The next Sunday he did. He lived another 40 years after that, I think, 30, 40 years. Was a great grandfather, great father, great godly man, became an usher in the church, passed out the bulletins, did everything, showed up Sunday morning, Wednesday night, went to Florida during the winter, got involved in a church down there. Why? His wife had been a Sunday school teacher for 35 years. Wonderful, sweet. She just died about four months ago. And he, she said, I never, ever said anything to Charlie other than, would you like to go to church today? Would you like to go to church today? And he never would. But finally he did. When he did, you know he became a fanatic. You know who a fanatic is, Don? Is somebody goes to church more than you do. That's what a fanatic is. He became a fanatic. He went to church all the time. He loved God. He started asking questions. You know somebody is saved when they start coming out of church and asking you questions about the Bible. And he started, a preacher, he said, I'm reading in the Bible. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, here comes Charlie's question again. Because he'd pick up some real winners. I have to stop. And I know you're glad for that. But ladies and gentlemen, I've tried to give you some rationale as to why to have a godly marriage. It's up to you whether or not you want to have one. It's up to you whether or not you want to be a godly person. I just would like to give you a request. And I know it ain't worth a nickel to you, and I know I don't deserve it, but i got a favor to ask of you. If you're not going to live it, at least be honest about it. Stop telling people you're a Christian. Stop telling people you believe in God. You say, well, I do believe in God, preacher. What does his book say? It's not good for you not to have a godly marriage. Don't tell people you believe in God and then don't do what he tells you to do. He's never given bad advice. He's not going to start with you. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come. We're going to close this service with an altar call. I don't have to go to the other church, so I get to stay here a while. And I'm like you. I know we got donuts back there. I smelled it when I walked in the door. But that's not what's important right now. Are you a Christian? If you aren't a Christian, this morning is a wonderful time to get saved. If you are a Christian and you're married and you're not having a godly marriage, you need to come up here and ask God to forgive you. If you're a man and you've not been loving your wife right, you need to ask God to forgive you. And before you eat lunch today, you need to ask your wife to forgive you. If you're a woman and you've not been submitting to your husband, you've not been respecting, you say he doesn't deserve, I don't ask you what he deserved. I don't deserve anything I've ever gotten from God. You need to ask God to forgive you. And before the day is over, you need to ask your husband to forgive you. Would you stand with us, please, across the church this morning? I've talked more than enough. I invite you to come and kneel at this altar of prayer if you need to get right with the Lord. Or you need to come and make things right. Be nice to have some couples to come together. I don't count heads. I don't care how many that come. It's not my business. I've finished what I feel like I should have done here this morning. And now I offer to you the opportunity to let God do his will in your life. If you can, sing along with our worship team. If you feel so led, please come and use this altar. And may Jesus Christ be pleased as we finish this service. Dan. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, you know each and every one of us. I know, and I'm sure all people here know, I don't have to come to an altar, but Lord, I desperately want to be your kind of person, your kind of husband, your kind of man. I trust there are many others who share that perspective.
So Father, be with us this afternoon, this week. Some small way may we be a wee bit more like you. I pray, God, that your word will burn deeply into our hearts. Encourage these people to know they're not doomed to failure and statistics, but they are your children, redeemed by your blood, and they're being remade into your image. And I want to thank you for that. So, Lord, have your will in life and way in our lives, and may you be glorified. For I believe this is your will, and I ask it in your name. And all who agreed said an amen. Amen. Let you be seated for just a moment, please.